Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Zair Yunus and it's been a bit over a year at least for me that I've been working from home. And during this period of time, a lot has changed. We've become experts on Zoom. We've become experts on doing things remotely. And in many ways, and many experts have called this pandemic the great accelerator. Um, and this is true, especially when it comes to how we've adopted and, and learned from new technologies. Um, so today we're going to be talking about how this type of rapidly uh, expanding technology-led innovation um, is impacting the field of medicine and the field of telemedicine. Uh, I have uh, the pleasure of hosting Dr. Sara Said Khurram and Dr. Ifat Safar Aga, who are a dynamic duo and are co-founders of uh, an amazing startup, Sehat Kahani in Pakistan, who um, has a network of 5,000 doctors They've done almost half a million consultations, if I, if I got the statistics there right, uh, in a short period of time. And most fantastically, just recently, they raised a million dollars in a pre-Series A startup funding round, uh, which means that they're going to be expanding rapidly and, and growing all across Pakistan. Uh, so Dr. Sara and Dr. Ifat, first of all, congratulations on the funding round and all the success that you've had so far, and welcome to Pakistanomy. Thank you, thank you there. I love the name. <laughs> thank you. It's it's a it's a bit of a play. I think often people confuse the spelling, so that's been a challenge. But I think it 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 fits in terms of the pronunciation. Yeah. Um, I I want to start with. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I think it's a very exciting name. Thank you. So I want to start with your journey. Um, and and sort of you know the, the journey and the vision and mission behind Sehat Kahani. Um, in fact, I was, you know, looking up uh, startups in Pakistan, and I think you're the only uh, female co-founded startup in the country, at least the one that I've come across so far. So that's exciting. But I just want to understand, how did you decide on democratizing healthcare and going from doctors to doctor entrepreneurs in a country like Pakistan? I think, I think there are other uh, female-led startups in the country as well. Um, I think we're the only female uh, duo in health tech, um, uh, but more and more coming up as we as you move on. I think we've also become old now in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, and, and newbies are doing much better than us in the female empowerment angle. Um, so again, a little bit of background about myself. I'm a medical doctor by profession. I'm a mother of two young girls, and I have done my postgrad in public health and community health and health uh, innovations excite me um, that help people um, find uh, qualified doctors um, using technology. I think that is something that really excites me. Um, and uh, my co-founder is also here today, Fatih, if you want to introduce yourself as well. Hey, so I'm uh, also a doctor by profession. Uh, my name is Dr. Fiza Farawa, and I am pursuing my master's in global e-health, and I've uh, some experience working in the pharma sector or the core, you know, MNCH or corporate sector. And, you know, I, I think a health impact at a larger scale has always uh, excited me that how can you make a change at a bigger level? So, so I think our journey as, as doctors uh, started pretty, uh, pretty normally as other, other doctors start. We've studied all our lives or major part of our young lives. Uh, for a medical degree, um, and we aspire to be these amazing clinicians who can help lots of people. Um, but at least in my journey, um, when I was growing up, I was always told that I had to be a doctor. I wasn't given another choice uh, by my parents. And I was the youngest of uh, two brothers. 
Um, and my father always told me that you have to be a doctor. Um, so when I went into medical college, uh, I was very excited. And what excited me more was that um, in, in, a, in a medical college in Pakistan, there's a huge population of females. Um, so almost 60 to 70% of the class is made up of females. And even it was more in my own class. So my own class, 80% was made up of women. And all throughout my college years, I saw the same thing in the people who were there before me and in the classes who came after. Um, but suddenly, as we started to transition to final year uh, or to the time where we actually had to practice, I saw a very interesting dilemma uh, coming on in the girls' lives. So a lot of females who were aspiring to become doctors started getting married and having children or started getting engaged um, because uh, it was at that time that their parents felt that now they needed to get married also. Um, and suddenly we were exposed to this very interesting term in Pakistan, it's called the doctor bride. It's actually a phenomenon in our country that um, where 60% of our medical workforce is made up of female doctors only one out of three female doctors actually make it to formal practice after graduation. Um, so we miss a huge number of female doctors from actual working doctors in the country. Now, um, also something that I saw very interestingly, um, as I worked in the biggest tertiary care hospitals in the country in Karachi, Pakistan, I saw that a lot of patients come to tertiary care hospitals with issues that might have been taken care of at a primary care level in their community but could not happen because there wasn't any doctor available for them. And they only came to the tertiary care hospital once the issue was worse enough to be taken care at the community level. So they only came either with a problem that couldn't be solved at the hospital or for a comfortable bed to die on. And that was the reality in a lot of medical, surgical and gynecological wards in the country. Um, especially in the biggest hospital that I was working in. So there are two very interesting problems. One is that we have a huge network of female doctors who is getting up after graduation. And the other, where a huge part of our population, almost 50%, never get to see a qualified doctor in their lifetime. Um, so through our personal journeys, at one point of our life, we also faced this dilemma where we couldn't work. Um, so in my scenario, I moved to a new city with my husband after having a baby. And there was a time where I couldn't work and it pushed me into postpartum depression. And I think if I went into something similar where she lost a baby in premature birth and the next time she conceived, she quit her job uh, because she didn't want to work anymore. There was a fear in her mind. And, and through this experience, we realized what a female doctor actually goes through. What is the emotional and mental turmoil that happens? So through a very quick experiment uh, that I did sitting from my home in Lahore in a clinic in Karachi, um, we realized that a female doctor sitting at home can provide consultations to patients in other places using um, video consultation. And that's something we call telemedicine. Um, so the idea of Sehat Kahani is that a female doctor from anywhere in the world can provide consultations to patients using a chat, audio or video consultation platform. And when we started, um, we started with a more noble idea of providing healthcare to the low-income communities, the people were more underprivileged. So we started with the idea of making clinics in low-income communities. These clinics are already present in communities, nurses are working, um, working in them, but we upgrade these clinics into telemedicine centers and we train the nurse on a software so that when a patient comes to her, she connects the patient to an online doctor, any patient that comes to her. 
Um, as we moved one or two years into business, we realized that while we're creating a lot of impact, we are only catering to a small segment of the Pakistani society, um, which is that community that we're working in. And in every clinic, we can only employ two to three doctors. So we're not creating any, any long-term impacts or effects until, until unless we create a larger product that can cater to a larger audience in Pakistan. Um, so we also started working on a mobile application that allows anyone from the comfort of their mobile phone to connect to a doctor in less than three clicks and less than 60 seconds. And that's when we created our mobile application that came out in 2019. Um, we were, it, was, it, was a, it was an opportunity in a crisis because as soon as our mobile application came out, four months later, Pakistan was hit with COVID-19. Um, because we had the application ready, because our product was already there in the market, it got picked up by a lot of different um, audiences. So the first thing we did was we provided the application to the federal government um, through collaboration with the federal government in NCOC, in which we made our retail application absolutely free for six months. We also launched a corporate solution for corporations to ensure their employees for online healthcare, if they didn't have OPD coverage, because a lot of organizations were feeling the need to provide something to their employees, they took it up readily. Um, so our, our, clinical, our, our clinical model was there, but our corporate care solution shot up. Our retail solution shot up because of COVID and for our services being free. So from like six corporates in December 2019, went to like 53 corporates in a year. And from 20, 20 patients on our app, we went to like 1,000 uh, patients a day on our retail app. And that actually accelerated our journey to almost 525% over one year. And that, I think, has brought us here today. But if you want to add something to that. Also, also I think uh, over the uh, few years, we also realized that there's a huge uh, yeah, human resource or network of doctors who is readily available. If you talk about clinics and you know uh, connecting doctors to the clinics, you can limit maximum three or four doctors to one clinic, and there's such a huge potential out there waiting to get the right opportunity to be able to provide healthcare. And you know the mobile application, the the best part or the beauty of it is that it's more like an Uber for doctor, so so you can get as many doctors being made available on that platform um, as is possible. And I think as Sarah was mentioning that during COVID, the exciting thing was not only was this application used within Pakistan, but the Pakistani diaspora based outside Pakistan also uh, did consultations. And you know, we were so excited. We got people to uh, use the application, for example, from Australia, from India, from US, UK, from Philippines, we, we got a patient from, from Kenya. So, you know, all of those kind of uh, stories when we heard, there were so many patients who um, we were able to, in many ways, save, you know, at the last minute. So, so I think all of this has uh, been really exciting and really um, empowering in many ways, I guess. And it's fantastic, the fact that you have a global sort of patient pool coming in and, and people dropping in and using connectivity wherever they are in the world. But help me understand on the back end side. So if I'm a doctor, how do I become part of your platform? And are there like SOPs around, I have to be online during certain hours? Do I have to be on demand? Because if you're guaranteeing your customer uh, a doctor within 60 seconds, that means you have to have some sort of scheduling. So help help the listener and help me understand how does how does the magic happen in the back end side of things? 
Yeah. So, so I'll just briefly talk about how we, you know, onboard doctors. So for every doctor, they need to have a valid PMDC license. Um, there's a certain criteria that they need to have a minimum experience of three years or and shouldn't be out of work for more than three years. Um, then once we get a doctor on board, they undergo excessive training. So, so there's a learning management system that we have created. All of the doctors that come on board need to go through all of the various courses that there are present. And they have to pass a certain score before they can actually you know, practice either on the application or the clinics. So you know, that, that's something that we do. Over the uh, last few years, we have realized that you know, it's healthcare and how the doctors practice, that's very important. So, so this is something that we've done. In the clinics, what we do is that it's like any other regular clinic where the doctors have a certain um, schedule given to them, which they have to follow. On the mobile application, what we've done is that we identify trends that what hours have the maximum uh, patient flow. And we kind of manage the doctors being placed within those hours. I think the beauty of having a product which is quite global is that we not only have doctors from Pakistan, but we have Pakistani doctors who are, for example, based in the US and the UK. So, you know, when our night happens, so that kind of gives that flexibility. So they are working in their day timings when it's most convenient for them. And we get a doctor even available at night. So, so that's how we um, kind of understand that which hours need the maximum number of doctors. And that's how we place them. And maybe, you know, Sarah, you can add something to it. So I think um, um, from our, from our um, so, so we started for a more difficult community, right? We started for people who had never seen a laptop in their lifetime. So when we placed a, a laptop in a clinic and we asked a patient to come in and the nurse said that, you know, this doctor is going to see you. That was like a doctor in a dabba for them. Um, so we learned a lot of patient care practices from that experience that how a patient can convince a community dweller um, that this doctor is better than you than a quack who's sitting and giving you steroids uh, at a cheaper price two feet away. So when we made the application, it was actually easier for us um, to convince patients that online doctors are as good as physical doctors. Um, something that we do and, and we have been doing for the last three years is we, we see how doctors can provide the best quality care to patients. So we, ma we manage patients, although it is, it is at a personal level for the doctor to manage patients, but we provide them quality assurance protocols and algorithms. That if the patient is coming with certain red flags, they need to refer the patient. If the patient is coming with manageable conditions, according to our algorithm, they can manage the patient on telemedicine. Um, what kind of diseases can be seen through telemedicine? What can't be seen through telemedicine? and how they can refer the patient and where did, do they need to refer the patient. So all this information is already with the doctor. What we also do is that if a patient misses a call, um, they get a call back from our call center, connecting them to the next available doctor. We also have auto routing. So if there's a doctor who's not connecting, the, the app will reroute you three times to a different doctor. But in case your call is missed, we will then give you a call back and provide you an alternative. We also randomly call patients for feedback. So we try and call every third or four patient for feedback to continuously see how the consultation happened. What was the quality of the doctor? What was the quality of the whole process that the patient went through? Um, and most of all, I think, because the doctors are not just there as, as employees, they become a part of the community. So they get a lot of learning. They get a lot of community. They, they, like, they like get a lot of continuous medical education programs to be a part of. Um, they discuss a lot of cases together. So also it keeps the doctors motivated to come back on the platform 
and keep serving more patients. On the data side, then let's say if I'm the patient and I've used Sayed Kahani once, twice, three times, and let's say I have a recurring condition that I typically, you know, touch base with the doctor for a consultation every three or four months, et cetera. Do you also then, you know, in, because I, I know from experience in Pakistan, for example, getting a history of a patient and moving from doctor to doctor is a big problem. And that leads to negative outcomes in terms of patient healthcare, et cetera. Um, so are you then also making sure that the patient like myself, who's coming in regularly, when I get a new doctor, they automatically know that Uzair has blood pressure and diabetes and has been coming in for eczema or whatever. And how does that work? From, from an operational procedure? So, so what the doctor, what, what, so there are two things that you can do on the app. You, you have a place where you can write your whole health history. So it's an EMR given within the application. But with our experience with uh, the audience that we deal in, a lot of patients, almost 70 to 80% of them do not fill their health history. So they directly go into the consultation, press that button and just want to be connected to the doctor. What we've done at the doctor's end is that there is a, there is a, there's an option of doctor notes with the doctor. So the doctor recaps the entire consultation and provides notes that are present within the doctor's side of the application. Now, if you're consulting with Dr. Ifa today and tomorrow Dr. Ifa is not present and you come for a follow-up and Dr. Sara is available, when, when Dr. Sara opens your consultation, she will be seeing Dr. Ifa's notes. So she will know what the previous doctor has prescribed to you, what was her notes, and what was the mode of treatment, and she will continue from there. And that is going to keep adding to your notes at the doctor's end. And the prescription is going to keep adding at your end. So it is a continuous process. We track the patient from the first visit to the follow-up visit through those doctor notes. That's brilliant. And I think you're building stickiness into the platform, which is where I want to pivot to next, because you've had a million dollars in fundraising. Obviously, the goal is accelerated growth. And just wanted to understand like what that growth strategy looks like, because as you were describing this, for example, in terms of both how things work in the back end, as well as the doctor notes and, and building that patient experience, um, there's a lot you can do, right? As you grow, you can start selling insurance because you know about patients and their healthcare. Um, there is stickiness into the platform so you can sell subscriptions in terms of payment uh, uh, solutions, et cetera. Um, there's a lot going in my head as I speak to you and get excited about the, the wonderful work you guys are doing. Um, so help us understand what, where, where do you go next? Like how in a post-pandemic Pakistan, although there is no post-pandemic yet, we're in the third wave, um, but six months, eight months, 12 months from now, um, where is Ahed Kani headed with this fundraising round complete and uh, a, a long way forward in terms of growth? Ifa, do you wanna go forward? So, so I, I, th I think I like that you've done a lot of homework on you know, what, what you've done and you seem to be headed. So yeah, you're, you're pretty much uh, in the right way. Um, with this fundraising, what we're looking at is not only scaling the number of clinics, but also building on the mobile application, further enhancing the user experience. And, and, and I think um, we have uh, recently partnered with an insurance provider. And the idea is that any person who has access to that insurance should have access to online OBD as well. And that's something that really uh, envisioned to scale. And, and I think this is something that has been happening um, worldwide. 
the US or the UK pretty much have this model where you uh, seek insurance and you also have access to online OPDs. And I think this was something which was majorly missing in Pakistan that you get insurance, but uh, you're only limited to hospital admissions. And in the beauty of telemedicine is that you can just be anywhere in Pakistan and you can access an online doctor. And, and, and I think this is uh, one of the areas that we are headed towards, but we also want to really scale up big time in Pakistan. Uh, we, we are also looking at uh, a couple of um, B2B2C integrations, for example, other organizations who might have a large user base, how they can also avail um, having, having access to online doctors by integrating within you know, uh, other platforms. So yeah, this is how it is in, in a bit of a nutshell. And I think Sarah can add on further. So I think what we saw in, in, in COVID was that for the first time, what we saw in our country was that before COVID came in, it was a very hard sell to tell people that virtual doctor, if qualified, can be as good as a physical doctor. Uh, but once COVID started, a lot of people reached out to their physicians online and it became an easy sell to convince people that virtual doctors are as good. And we got to try it with multiple audiences in a short amount of time. Um, so we were already doing it in our clinics, but we got to create this corporate care solution, which was the first of its, first, first of its kind telemedicine solution for corporate employees at an annual subscription. Um, we got to integrate our service with other third-party applications at Ifitset. So we are integrated within HBL and Alphala, uh, which are big banking apps having millions of customers using their app and our service as a health option. Uh, we got to partner with the government. We got to integrate with them so that anyone who comes on the government platform can be rerouted to Sehat Kahani solution. And we also had a retail solution for direct-to-consumer use for if someone wants to directly pay for it. I think out of these, we saw that the corporate market and the B2B2C market, just because digital payment is such a problem in Pakistan, a lot of people do not have the ability to pay through debit cards or credit cards. And as you very rightly mentioned in the beginning, um, you mentioned that a lot of your audiences is male because male have accounts in the country or, or male have smartphones in the country. That exactly falls for digital payments as well. A lot of male can make transactions and a lot of female having a smartphone cannot because they're dependent on their husband or brother or father for that digital transaction through their mobile phone, even if they own one. So for those reasons, we saw that a corporate or a B2B solution, B2B2C solution works better and is more scalable right now in the current scenario. So I think in the next two years, with the investment that we've raised uh, right now, we want to capture the market um, through our corporate solution, as well as integrating our solutions and other applications. Um, rather than spending huge amount of money in marketing the, the B2C solution, we would use the funding wisely um, to scale efficiently, to get more clients on board, provide them good quality services so that they stick around and so that we can create this market for telemedicine with insurance providers and mainly any other industry player and make them see health as a product. Because even if you see a lot of uh, products in Pakistan in the, in the e-commerce sector, you see fashion, you see travel, you see food, but you never see health as a product for a country where 100 million people don't have access to healthcare. Um, so what we are doing now is creating health as a value added product for people to access through their smartphone so that they can at any time, day or night, through their smartphone, consult a doctor within 60 seconds, um, along with the same time, expanding the network of clinics for low-income areas. 
I think the B2B corporate sort of subscription model you're following is brilliant because nothing beats a recurring revenue bundle that you can bring in and, and have those revenues come in and you go from 50 to 100. People don't like to cancel subscriptions, especially if the service is excellent and sticky. Um, so that's that's a great path forward for growth in terms of growing your revenue and then allows you to do other things. Um, and I think you're on point, right? Like the data I've looked at, in terms of access to bank accounts, less than 10% of urban women in Pakistan have access to a bank account. Um, about one in four, or less than one in four, have access to mobile phone data. So there is a big gender divide in terms of financial inclusion and digital access. So I think solving that is a larger public policy challenge that I think people need to work on. But as that grows, there is a healthcare need. And you can have e-commerce, you can have fashion, you can have all of that. But if you don't have good health, um, none of that is going to grow because the healthy population is at the core of a healthy society and healthy economy at the end of the day. Um, we've talked about growth. Um, what are some of the barriers beyond, beyond sort of the lack of bank access and data? Um, what else have you noticed both from an operational perspective and even from a you know, doctor's or customer point of view um, that has been an issue? Because I know you said that you know, it's hard to convince people that an online doctor is as good as an offline doctor. I would personally argue, particularly in the Pakistani case at the community level, um, that an online doctor is in fact much better than an offline doctor because of the quality of care. Not just that, because I personally remember I was a kid um, and was sick and we went to a clinic because I was not really well and in an emergency. My mom took me to a clinic and we're just sitting there. And right next to me is a person with tuberculosis and they're just coughing, right? And there is no safety there. And this is pre-COVID. COVID has made people aware of germs and things like that a lot more than before. But that's a health risk, right? Every The 40 people sitting in that room are taking on that risk. So the offline uh, work can be much more uh, deadly in a way. Um, so, But what are the other barriers that you've noticed that, you know what, in Pakistan, we need to change certain things in order to meet our true growth potential? I think I think in our in our journey, I think we've we've seen three or four major challenges. I think one is, um, and I and I was talking talking about this earlier as well with someone today. I think younger companies in Pakistan always or often find it very difficult to have collaborations with big industry players. So you know, working with corporations, working with the banking sector, working with the government, um, there isn't there isn't there is a transparent or not that visible divide between the startup sector in the country and the, and the industrial or the corporate sector in the country. But the real growth only happens when these two collaborate, where the industry can avail startup services for their benefit and, and the startups can have a bigger audiences to play with. That's only when the scale happens. So that is actually one barrier that we face because we've always seen that the startup is at, you know, it's, it's, see, it's seen at, at the receiving end of the relationship. Um, there isn't an equal relationship between the two partners. Um, so that I think has been one of the barriers. The second barrier that we see particularly in the, in the digital health sector is Pakistan does not have a digital healthcare policy or a framework. Now, before COVID, we had a very limited number of partners who were doing telemedicine, who were doing digital healthcare. But after COVID, we've seen this mushroom growth all over Pakistan, uh, where new telemedicine companies have emerged. And we have many good players, but we also have some mediocre players who've come in. And there is no criteria setting one apart from the other. Now, what it does is for something like healthcare, 
if you have one wrong player in the market, it ruins a market which is available to be explored by a lot of other players. Um, so I think that is one thing that needs to be taken up urgently, that Pakistan needs a digital healthcare policy, not only for these interventions to have a criteria or accountability, but also for investment to come in the country. Um, all other countries where digital healthcare has excelled, be it India, be it Indonesia, be it Vietnam, um, they, they made guidelines, policies, and frameworks. And after that, investors have enough trust in the system to invest big money. So unless and until we are willing to do that, there's so many investors who will always be scared in investing in health tech, which is a risky sector in itself. Um, I think I think the third uh, thing is, is I think, um, and, and, and you will hear some other companies talk about it as well, but there is a, a dearth of talent uh, for younger companies to acquire at a competitive rate. So there is talent available in Pakistan, there's no doubt of that. But in order to scale the company, there's a specific talent and there's a specific human resource you require, um, which can grow and scale the business. And to find that as a smaller company with limited budgets in Pakistan is absolutely difficult. You know, finding a CTO is so difficult in, the, in, in Pakistan, um, who can take your application to the next level and, and make you compete with other global applications. So I think these are some of the challenges that we still face, but I think we are getting around it. Um, uh, in, in one way or the other. Dr. Ifad, anything on your end from the challenges in addition before I ask another question? I, I, I think just you know, uh, adding another one, being female entrepreneurs is, has been a challenge in many ways. It has been a challenge, but I think it has also been an advantage. So, so you know, uh, um, Alhamdulillah, now we have successfully uh, done the PCD way. But I, I, if we were standing a year uh, ago, I felt that major challenge, especially when you uh, speak to Pakistani investors or the Pakistani market is that being female entrepreneurs, I, I think you have to work harder. Also, I think that, you know, the, the playing uh, field uh, oftentimes is not equal. So, you know, we also have to take care of families or we both have children, so we both have two daughters. And, you know, uh, you, you see a lot of, for example, male entrepreneurs having the opportunity or the ease to be able to you know, meet people on coffees, on dinners, which unfortunately we can't. So we have to make the most between, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So, so our, you know, work has, so we can't take, you know, like two hours more breaks. So we can't like go to lunch every day and, you know, have late sittings. So, so I, I think that that is something that has been a bit of a disadvantage, but I believe we have kind of learned how to play around it. And, you know, more like um, setting examples that, okay, this is something that you can do, actually. I think that that's a great pivot. Um, and as you were describing that, I, I sort of remembered, I think it was just a few weeks ago, it was the Bumble CEO or some other uh, CEO out of a startup in the United States and she was outside her room, she's pregnant, she's talking on the phone and she put it out there specifically with the tweet, something about the fact that, you know, it's different being a female entrepreneur, the, 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 the lifestyle and the hustle that you have to have and the expectations people have is different. And her putting up that picture was basically to communicate that, you know, it is a different, different experience altogether. And that that's true, even especially in a place like Pakistan, but even in the United States, for example, right now. Um, you mentioned, Dr. Sara, the, the dearth of talent or looking out for talent, right? And that's a good pivot into the second half of this conversation, where if, if uh, an aspiring young person is listening to this conversation and is like, either I want to have my own startup someday, or I want to 
work at a Sehat Kahani and kick ass and like be someone who's at a high growth place. What do you look for when you're talking to someone and you say, you know what, I'm hiring someone either at a CTO level or even at a junior position? Like what are some keys to success that you say, you know what, if someone has exhibits these qualities, I'm going to hire them? I think we look for mad people. <laughs> Um, that I think is is uh, something that we look out for. But you know, we've we've only been able to do what we have been, you know, a little of what we have because we're absolutely crazy and we're crazy about the work that we do. So I think the first thing that we that we look out for is the ownership or the loyalty or the passion to the work that we do. Someone who believes that telemedicine can change life for the better. Someone who believes that doctors can be available in a mobile phone anywhere. We see so many people who are very good at their work, but they don't believe into this idea that how it can change life. You know, this makes us, um, you know, it, it gives us goosebumps when we when we hear a patient in a far off community getting better. Uh, it excites us when we stop patients from um, from mental health issues going forward. It excites us that you know, in a small community, an infertile woman was having such a small issue with fertility, and we were able to solve that. Um, it makes us happy that a doctor sitting in KPK uh, is now come out of mental uh, depression because now she's working, uh, you know, full time in our clinic. Um, so these stories excite us. These these stories inspire us. And if if someone uh, has to work with us, then it needs to inspire them also. Um, we we don't work. We we don't work nine to nine but we work all the time. So um, if you can understand that. So we never off work. If it's a weekday, if it's a weekend, if work needs to be done, work needs to be done. And, and one thing that we've always um, kept at the core of our operations is quality and precision. Um, I think if it, uh, and I share a very interesting chemistry where if it sees the big picture and I see the details uh, in the same picture, um, so we need someone who sees both the bigger vision at the end of the tunnel, but also finds a way to get through that tunnel. Because if you can't do that, if you can't find that way through that tunnel, you can't see the light at the end of the day. Um, so we also do everything with a lot of precision, you know, with a lot of detailing. That if we, even if we have to send a proposal, if we, even if it's a presentation, even if it's an event, even if it's a small um, opportunity to reach out to people, how are we going to make the most of those 30, 40 minutes? Um, so I think that is something that we also see in someone. But I think the, the, the most important thing that we see is, is loyalty. Um, loyalty, your, loyalty to your team, loyalty to your um, people who are working under you, loyalty to the people who are working above you. How you can make sure that you are not just enabling yourself in a company, but also enabling a team to work with you. Because, because me and if are full-time mothers and we only are able to do this because we had a team from the beginning who's always there for us and with us working this, working and making this together. Um, and, and those all people have become leaders in their own selves. So our, our first founding team have mostly gone their own ways, but wherever they've gone, they've nurtured new ideas, they've led teams, they've become leaders in their own journey. Um, and so, so we want people to come in at a mid-level position and then rise to the position of leads and then carry forward their own teams. Um, so if you have a vision of joining the company uh, at a mid-level position and rising yourself to be a leader, being absolutely madly in love with the, pro with the product that you have under you, I think then you can come and work for us. 
I think a lot of times when I speak with Pakistanis about startups who are still just trying to understand, you talk about startup ecosystem and their question is, well, why do people keep saying startup ecosystem? And you hit the nail on their head there, Dr. Sarah, that, you know, it's about going elsewhere after getting some experience and spawning new companies and new ideas, right? That's the ecosystem at its heart. And that's why it's very important because the loyalty, the relationships you make, the learnings you take with you to another place, then allow you to start another business and then another business and then another business. And that's how the country and the economy and the innovation system moves forward. And that's why it's an ecosystem and not just about a startup. Um, Dr. Rifat, I'm going to ask you a, the same question in a different way. If someone's interviewing with you and comes in, what are the things or two or three things that you will notice and say, you know what, this person is not the right fit and I'm not going to hire them because they exhibit certain qualities that you, you absolutely, they, they quote unquote, using Dr. Sarah's term, they drive you mad in, in a bad way. So, so I think, uh, yeah, I know this happens uh, quite a lot. I, th I think whenever we are looking uh, for someone, we are looking for someone who's like really hungry and you know, passionate. I, I think even if, for example, if someone comes up and they are not, they are, for example, fresh grads or they, they uh, don't have a lot of market experience, we are absolutely all right with that. But we're, we're always looking for, for, you know, that spark or that excitement or that passion that, you know, they want to change the world and, you know, um, that they believe in this idea and they, they strongly believe about technology and they strongly believe about uh, women empowerment. Um, the one thing which perhaps I would say to turn this away is people who are not really excited about female empowerment. And, you know, um, just, just I think two or three years ago, I think we both were expecting uh, and we both are like, I remember, you know, Dr. Star is like uh, sitting in the boardroom, we, we're like, you know, all bloated and there are people who we are interviewing for, to fill the finance uh, position. And I'm sure you must be aware that in Pakistan, a lot of people in the finance sector usually end up being men and you know they walk in I, I would say it's a global thing the finance bro is a global phenomenon somehow and then you know they, they they're like interview. and you know they have this weird expression so you know for us who feels that they can't report to a woman or you know an office which has 80 percent females doesn't work for them so that's usually a big no that you know when, when they walk in to our office, they need to be absolutely all right with this crazy, you know, office where nursery be had. There are children also who might be coming to work, you know, uh, on a daily basis. And then your bosses are women. So, so I think this is something which um, we particularly see that how okay they're with that. And, and then I think the hunger, the hunger needs to be there. That uh, where do they want to excel in their own journey? So just doesn't have to be Sayat Kahani's journey, but are they passionate enough about their own lives that okay? So speaking of Pakistan being a male-dominated space, particularly in finance, but that's true in, in many, many areas and walks of life, um, even across the labor force, women just don't participate. Part of the, the same holds true for female doctors, for example. For your journeys as entrepreneurs, doctor entrepreneurs, uh, what have been some of the challenges that you sort of encountered along the way just because you are a female entrepreneur and just help us understand what that journey looks and feels like and the reason I'm asking this question is because a a lot of the audience that I have for this podcast is male so I want men to understand 
the, the barriers you have to go through, but also some of them are women and young women and most of the audience is under 35. Um, and I want them to sort of be inspired and learn from your experience. So if, if you're okay with it, I would love each of you to sort of share some tidbits about your journey along the way as female entrepreneurs in the country. So I think, I think our journeys have been very special because not just we're female entrepreneurs, I think we're also wives, we're also mothers, we're married women, we are uh, in our 30s. So, you know, Pakistan, a woman gets more respect that she, as she ages. So as her children grow up, the respect increases in, a, in, in your society. So when you're young, when you have younger children, I have for lesser number of years, it's more difficult. But I think in my specific um, example, Nifat can share hers, I think it has been a struggle um, to be a female CEO. It's, it's very okay for women to look at a female co-founder. It's very, it's very okay for, for people to see as a female co-founder who's doing social work in Pakistan or running an NGO. But you swap that for a female business leader who's a CEO of a young company who has a commercial idea with some sort of impact. And that equation for people to apprehend becomes very difficult. Um, so we, we face that when we stand in meetings, when we talk to people. And I went into a meeting um, in which the, the corporate head told me that next time you come, bring someone older uh, to, to represent you. And, and my immediate reaction was someone older in my house is my mom. Should I bring her? <laughs> so, um, and, and, and so, so, you know, I was interviewing for the finance person and this person came to me as if it said that, are you going to take my interview? Are you the CEO? Who's the person? Like, who's the man in this company who's going to be ultimately... Wait, wait so can I interrupt you here? That that person actually said that. Not I, I thought when Dr. Ifa said it, I, I, I understood it as exhibiting the facial expressions no, of, are you... Actually, they actually said it. So, I'm, so imagine I'm sitting in a boardroom uh, and I'm seven months pregnant and obviously not on my best uh, outlook at that time. And this man walks in in a suit and he... he he puts down his coat, puts it on a chair, and he's like 40, 45 years old. And he sits on the table and he's like, Ji, aap kaun? And I'm like, Main Dr. Sara, I'm a company CEO, I'm a interview. Karungi. And he's like, Aap CEO hai? Acha, aur kaun hai company? Mein? Main ka ek, ek aur meri co founder hai, Dr. Ifat, kate, aur kaun hai company? Mein? perception um, so I think I think that has generally been a struggle in getting in getting people serious about the product that we have, um, in getting people serious that we can actually take this product and scale it, that we can actually take care of their companies, that we can actually take care of their of their communities. Um, but then, of course, when you know that this is going to be the perception, you prep better, uh, and you do your homework better, and you make your services better. And you make sure that you use other things that are your, to your advantage. So, for example, women can be very empathetic. Um, they, we can be very compassionate. And I think that is something that we've used um, with our clients, with our partners, to show them a lot of empathy for their employees as well as themselves to hit the spots, soft spots where they would see that, okay, this female-led startup is, is helping us much more solve the solution. I think also, um, I think critique uh, when you fail is much more. 
uh, as as a female uh, founder uh, you know people are looking out for an opportunity where you can fail and they can target you um me and ifar have have turned up this ability to work more under pressure so if the situation is going worse we will we will put out our 20 to 200% make sure we come out that out of that uh, uh, of, of that problem in the best manner possible so we don't let anything fail in our company even if it's coming down hum pakistan ki team ban jate na jo 9 pe out ho kar bhi run bana ke nikal jati hai so we so we become that team at the end of the day um you i enter the fame dhamal dhamal yes, moment yes. Exactly, we can try the freely at the end of the day. You know, just just get it done. Um, I think at a personal level, it's also very difficult, as Isabel already mentioned, um, as as a working woman, as a mother, to juggle um, family and work expectations in the same day. Um, it is a struggle. It's a struggle globally for women all over the world. But I think when you when you when you're in a Pakistani community, there's a lot of culture and norm and society. Uh, that you also have to be a part of and and you have to be a part of that environment you can't get out of it um so i think that also becomes a struggle um but how you manage it is is that you take it at one day at a time you make sure that everyone around you knows that your work is important but they also know that you are there for the family when they need you the most dr ifar what about you Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, um, I think I think Sarah has summed up it uh, uh, beautifully. And you know, being a mother, I think the biggest, um, not exactly challenge, but uh, I would say uh, learning that I've had is that there would be days where you need to learn to let go. There are going to be play dates where perhaps you won't be able to uh, take your child, and you, ha- as a mother, have to be okay with it. And with time, you have to. um kind of prep your children that this is something which is normal in our lives and it doesn't have to be a big um, hassle or a big issue i think i think in my experience particularly um i've seen that at times other women also who are not working specially make it a bit difficult for you so for example you know aapke bacche ki dost ki mother who's you know home uh, every day and they're like oh my god your mother couldn't come to this event so so i i think as a woman you need to become really strong and resilient that you know this is how our life is and these are the positives that we have in our life and that's something that you really need to make your children understand and you know make them um get the strength around it or for example uh, to covid aa gaya but pre covid obviously there was a lot of traveling and alhamdulillah i think my husband has been very supportive uh, whenever we travel and he has had friends who would be like yaar bichara bibi bachche jo tumhare upar chhod kar chali gayi hai and you know so, so how your family kind of learns to live this kind of lifestyle with you and they they're there to support you and also to kind of make other people understand that this is all right if i'm looking up in children so i'm the father it's not like i'm doing something you know out of the way there my children also equally so so i think managing that those um, i would say social expectations has been a bit of a challenge but what i think um and i and this is something that i often like to say women need to become strong in themselves and they sometimes you know would feel that you know uh mera husband mujhe itna support kare ki wo meri help kare 
so husbands do become supportive but they learn to be supportive with time it's not like wo pehle hi din kahenge ki allah main tumhari ungli pakad ke you know the road cross kara dun you need to figure out how to cross that you know bridge yourself so so i th- i think at times women also give up that nahi yaar ye to main nahi kar paungi ye to mujhe mujhse nahi ho sakega so so i think they need to really believe in themselves that okay agar mujhe ye cheez karni hai to mujhe ye karni hai and i now need to um, figure out ways and i think in our equation um, i think ek badi achhi cheez ye rahi ki we two co-founders we both are women we both are mothers and we have kind of you know similar lifestyles so 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 wo ek understanding mere khayal se has um, played a very important part our children are exactly of the same age so you know the same school problems the same play rate issues all of that so koi play rate nahi mil rahi thi to you know hum kehte hain acha hum kaam kar rahe hain bachche ko ek dusre ke ghar chhod diya so the play rate is also happening kids are also happy we are also working <laughs> so I, i i think that has been a positive thing in our um, case as well i should have asked this earlier but I, i'll ask this now. how did you two meet like how Were were you in the same university college? Like how did how did the duo become come about? So we were we were in a similar workplace. Um, I had left and were and was was using a space in the office to to implement this concept. And if it was working in the office in a separate in a separate room, and um, I shifted back to Karachi and I started working on 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 this idea or the concept at that time. and if it used to be uh, this fancy head in one of the departments and i and started luring her in uh, saying that so you poached her idea yes i did i had to poach her twice um so once when we were implementing it and, and a few years later if it wanted to leave again <laughs> or she was or she was planning to like go back to the pharmaceutical industry after a few years but then i had to uh, uh, keep her in in like keep her again um but but i think why she understood it is is you know even when we are working together today i think both of us absolutely believe in in the ability of female doctors providing healthcare in the country through technology and changing this for the better uh, we saw this even before covid came in so jab hum log you know a lot of people ask me why female doctors why telemedicine why don't you create doctors in physical communities we always told them that this is a population of 200 million people you can do backflips and somersaults and you will not be able to produce enough doctors in this um in this country to provide healthcare to people um and in in a country where 85% of doctors work in urban areas and 15% in rural areas you need to find solutions that can provide quality healthcare and skip 10 years at one time in leaps because if you go for those old school solutions you will just run out of time and resources and healthcare will not reach to those people um but but i i think i think how how, how why we are also connected together as if it said is because we really understand um the value of each other and also the value that other female um employees bring to this bring to this company um so you know we created a nursery in our office we provide flexible timing a lot of our resource work from home now a lot of them work on kpis um rather than working in office so we have some men in the office who work 9 to 9 and i keep telling them that if you are sitting in office you're not doing a good job please go home and finish your work on time and and somehow they're not able to get that but um but we keep but we actually tell people when they join us at 5 o'clock is pack up time we leave you leave everyone leaves office please finish your time of work from home um so i think those are the those are the few things that you know she and i we care very deeply about and keeps us connected 
Well, that, that's brilliant. And, and the fact that you've post doctor for twice is, is, a, is a good tidbit to know now. That's maybe third time she'll be like, I, I'll be able to know. I'm just joking. No, no, no. Uh, now she guys... has to poach me. Now she has yeah, to poach me. Now it's worse now. <laughs> that's true. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, and I agree with you that you have to be kind of mad to take on this challenge of healthcare and telemedicine in Pakistan, given the sheer need, given the sheer numbers. In fact, like, you know, from a, even a tertiary education point of view, I think you're absolutely right. You can't have female doctors in the communities because of so many barriers. And even at the tertiary education level, you see that the labor force participation of Pakistani women is much lower than Bangladeshi or Indian women. And, you know, rather than try to solve the cultural problem, if technology is enabling you to get healthcare to those who need it through a technological solution, that's brilliant. And I think um, you're doing a fantastic job. So I wish you to and your team all the best. Before I let you go, it's a tradition on Pakistanomy that I ask my guests um, for book recommendations and the audience really likes it. I have both of you, so maybe two books each, um, and then we'll call it a day. So maybe with Dr. Ifad, we'll start with, what are two books that have inspired you that you've learned a lot from that you recommend uh, people pick up and read and can be on any topic? So one is uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, she used to be, she was the CEO of Facebook. And you know, she writes about how women um, somehow are, you know, kind of hindered by their own fear of progressing, you know, in their career. So, so and you know, I think just quoting her, she, she states that if a man goes into an interview, he doesn't think twice and he, he's gonna be like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. And a woman might become be too honest and even start doubting her own, you know, um, qualities. So I think that's one book that I really recommend to uh, women. And one book, which I think a lot of people must have already read, uh, which has stayed with me for like long, long time, Alchemist and the Zahir Follow. So somehow I, I just love those books and I can just read them over and over again so many times. Dr. Sarah? I think, I think I'll name three, if I can. Um, so the first book is, is um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories on, on the prophet, but I think Muhammad is one book um, that I would recommend everyone to read, not because you're Muslims, but also because how you turn an entire, how you turn mankind towards your purpose and your vision is something that needs to be learned um, from the prophet. Who's the author for that? Sorry. I, I don't remember the author, but the book is called Muhammad. Um, um, and, and there are many, many, you know, there are many other books as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll post, I'll, I'll share the author's name with you and you can share it with the audience. But um, it's, it's, it's a brilliant book that I've read that you, you need to find examples from what he did uh, in your life. The second book um, that I've, I've always felt a deep connection to is 40 Rules of Love. Um, and I think that just um, connects you to your purpose um, above um, just just doing it, you know, it, it tells you how you can love something, anything in your life to a purpose that you lose yourself over it. Um, the third thing, is, the third book that I've enjoyed reading is it's The Blue Setter by Jackie Novogratz. She is the Ackerman founder. I'm an Ackerman fellow, but it tells you that how a person who was, who had a path to lead a very commercial life through incidences in a lifetime, um, changed herself and also people around her um, to follow something which was right and not easy, which is the logo of Ackerman. But how she came through that journey, what she saw in her life um, is something that gives you a lot of motivation when you're working on social impact challenges 
um, in countries where there are difficult scenarios. So these are the three books that I'd recommend. Thank you for those recommendations. The reason why I asked uh, for the author of uh, the book, Muhammad, is because I, I've read a biography by Leslie Hazelton. I yeah. forget the name of that book. Um, but so I was like, maybe after Muhammad. That, that's yeah. after the Muhammad. So she's done two. So she has Life After the Prophet, which was the first. And then she published a biography. And I'll share the name with you as well. It's a wonderful read because what she, what I really like about her work is that she approaches it as a form of storytelling and a form of storytelling with lessons that are timeless, so to speak, right? And so she tells the story of this man who, as an orphan, grew up in a tribal society at war with each other and then transformed the world. Centuries later, you know, it, it still is transforming the world. So I, I found that really beautiful. Both her books are beautiful, and that's why I asked. But thank you for these book recommendations. Um, I've read some of them. They're wonderful. Um, thank you for taking out the time. Thank you for doing this wonderful work that you are doing in Pakistan in the field of telemedicine. I think it's transformational and uh, I wish you all the best. And I think if Ted Kahani grows exponentially, Pakistan's healthcare outcomes would be better. So it's both a social and a business and an economic opportunity. So keep up the great work and stay mad, I would say, and, <laughs> and have a good rest of the evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.